right. Welcome back. Or to the Reality of Fantasy podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cook. Today is August 26th, 2019. It is a Monday, so happy Monday to all of you. Uh, I was celebrating my birthday this past weekend in Milwaukee with some friends. We had a fantastic time. Went to the Diamondbacks and Brewers game Saturday night. Unfortunately, the Snakes did not win, but it was still great. But that is why I have not recorded anything in the last two days. I was out doing other things with my life. And during that game, uh, we were hit. The world, the NFL community, the fantasy world, was hit with some startling news, which we will discuss today. It'll be a primary focus of today's podcast, the Andrew Luck retirement. We're also going to talk about the unfortunate Lamar Miller torn ACL and the impact that has on other fantasy players and what to do. I'm going to add a new segment today called Things That I'm Liking, and it'll focus on certain trends or things that have happened recently uh, that may be uh, useful to keep an eye on as uh, it's uh, basically people trending in the right direction. So we'll, we'll close down with that and then completely end the podcast with instead of a beer of the podcast, we're going to do a brewery of the podcast today. So uh, enjoy that when we get there. Let's start with Andrew Luck. I'm sure many of you know at this juncture that Andrew Luck has chosen, chosen is an important word, to retire from the NFL. It is unique that somebody at his age would do such a thing and somebody who in theory as a quarterback could be playing for another decade based on what we're seeing with Tom Brady and things of that nature. However, Andrew Luck has chosen to go a different direction with his life. And I personally cannot overstate how much I respect him for doing this. I've always been an Andrew Luck fan dating back to Stanford. It's not always apparent based on people's personas and demonstrations on the field, whether or not that truly reflects who they are off the field. But with Andrew Luck, you had a very good sense that this is truly who he is. And there was always the running joke that Andrew Luck would congratulate players that he was playing against for nearly sacking him or almost intercepting him or definitely when he they did make great plays, he would definitely praise them. And I respect that as an athlete. So much of our sporting culture goes against the like loving gratitude, appreciation, affirmation that is truly necessary for our society to progress. And I'm not saying that Andrew Luck is a Buddhist or Andrew Luck is a meditator or that people need these things in their life, although as a clinical psychologist, I highly encourage them. But I do believe he was generally a good person. And I love the way he plays the game. And he has had an impact on the way that I engage with sports. 
So with that, I have much respect for you, Andrew Luck, and I fully respect your decision, as I'm certain that you have other life aspirations. You have a family. You have a religious relationship. You have things that I believe would be inhibited by more taxation physically and emotionally from the NFL. And as he said, this was the hardest decision of his life. And I don't doubt that. But I truly appreciate you making that decision. And I encourage more athletes to consider life beyond the sports. Because there's much more to life than just the sports. Although I have so much respect for Andrew Luck, I have no respect, no tolerance, no acceptance of what the Colts fans, some Colts fans, did to Andrew Luck on Saturday. Booing him, or was it Sunday? I don't know, one of those days. Booing him for retiring. I get it. It's your franchise quarterback, a lot of money invested in him. Your team is now in turmoil, limbo, if you will. There's much uncertainty of where to go from here. But this is a guy who laid it out for you for so many years. So many years. Taking abuse after abuse after abuse from massive humans because your offensive line could not protect him. He laid it all out there, was the face of a franchise. All reports say he's still living in Indianapolis. He gave it all for you. And you're going to boo him? Even if he wasn't as quality of a human as he seems to be, what you're doing is absurd. What you're doing is selfish. You're not recognizing that we only get a microscopic lens into what these people have to go through. And it's the same thing as hiding behind a computer screen and trolling people on social media. The benefit, I can't even imagine the benefit you're getting from this. There is none. It's absurd, and I have no tolerance for it. Absolutely absurd. I will end this non-fantasy-related portion of fan Andrew Luck, and we'll get to a fantasy-related portion here in a bit, by shedding some appreciation for the Colts organization. The fact that Andrew Luck is keeping his money is not why I'm praising them. They could have easily came out, as some organizations do in, in certain situations like this, and been bombastic and really not respected this individual's choice in life. But they supported him fully. And for that, I must send my appreciation to the Colts organization. Uh, it... it in this particular instance is an exemplar of how you should handle um, this type of uh, unexpected deviation in, in uh, organizational course. Now, I appreciate the audience for letting me vent and rant and praise through that portion. I felt it was necessary for me. Let's talk some fantasy sports and the implications of Andrew Luck. What do you do with the Colts players now? Because with Andrew Luck, it was an offense we were targeting. The Marlon Max, even the Naheem Hines may have had some relevance. Certainly the 84 tight ends that were on the Colts roster that Andrew Luck lights. The Jack Doyles, the Eric Ebrons, even Mo Alley Coxes of the world. Obviously, T.Y. Hilton was a focus. Because he's amazing. 
with Andrew Luck and when they're at home in Lucas Oil. But what do you do now? With Jacoby Brissett starting at quarterback, what do you do now? If you haven't drafted yet, I personally think it's a stay away for everybody. Everybody. Unless you're able to get T.Y. Hilton later than the sixth round. I think his talent and couple that with the fact that Jacoby Brissett has looked competent at times and has looked pretty solid this preseason warrants T.Y. Hilton remaining relevant at that stage in the draft. However, I'm completely off Marlon Mack. He's a running back dependent of positive game scripts as we saw last year. And that to me scares me since I don't think they're going to be uh, likely to be in those situations as much as if Andrew Luck was quarterback. I do have some interest in Naeem Hines in a full PPR league, but there's no reason to go out of your way you're drafting him. You can pick him up. But I have no interest in the tight ends. None at this point. So let's talk a little more about T.Y. Hilton. If you own him, what do you do? It's a great question. And one that I don't have a concrete answer on. It may take some effort from you as an owner to evaluate other league managers' tendencies, their rosters, and figure out, is it worth going after a guy like Curtis Samuel, D.D. Westbrook? Guys with upside, but uncertainty, but maybe in a more predictive position than T.Y. Hilton? Or are you doing what you're not supposed to do in fantasy sports and trading away players at their lowest value, which would be at this spot with T.Y. Hilton? On the flip side, do you throw some potential offers if you don't own T.Y. Hilton and need some receiver support to try and get a desperate manager to budge on like a Larry Fitzgerald or a Curtis Samuel type player. I think I may throw some offers out there for T.Y. Hilton. You know, it's hard for me to imagine him putting up 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns with Jacoby Verset under center, but I think it's possible. And if you are doing what you're supposed to do as a fantasy owner, and as it is with the stock market, Seeing some potential for your return on investment and capitalizing when a player's value is at at lowest point and we have a track record of proven success, that seems to be diligent regardless of outcome. I'm not entirely certain what you could trade for him. It would depend on your scoring format, what your roster looks like, who, what the roster and tendencies are of the owner who has T.Y. Hilton, but definitely something to consider. When considering if you if you were the unfortunate owner of Andrew Luck and you're now in desperation mode to go get a quarterback, I have five suggestions for you of lower-owned quarterbacks. And for now, I'm going to quantify a lower-owned quarterback or characterize a lower-owned quarterback by the quantification of less than 70% owned on Yahoo platforms. We'll start off with the highest-owned of the bunch, although he is likely not available, especially in deeper leagues or two quarterback leagues. Mitchell Trubisky of the Chicago Bears, 68% owned on Yahoo. 
It's an offense you want to be a part of. They have many pieces. It's hard to figure out which pieces you want, but you want that offense. And when I see that, I see quarterback. I like Mitchell Trubisky. I feel confident if you need to pick him up. 61% owned Kirk Cousins. He had a career year last year. This team has all the pieces. All the pieces. They have two elite receivers. They have a three-down, very talented running back in Dalvin Cook. They have backups to Dalvin Cook in Alexander Madison and Mike Boone, who have shown really uh, unique talent and capabilities in preseason. And they have a reliable pass-catching tight end in Kyle Rudolph. So I think you could do worse than Kirk Cousins at 61% owned. At 35% owned, this is my favorite of the bunch, Josh Allen. If you extrapolated Josh Allen's numbers in my standard scoring format last year, where it was six points for rushing touchdowns and four points for um, throwing touchdowns, he would have came out to about 290-ish fantasy points, which was only about 15 fantasy points or so behind Drew Brees. From my understanding and what I've heard, the Bills have adopted an offense similar to that of the New England Patriots, and things are thriving right now. He has some pieces around him in John Brown to take the top off. And, um, God, who's that? It's gonna, I'm spacing on it. I think it's uh, Cole Beasley underneath. There are some pieces there. Zay Jones is still there. We saw some splash games from Zay Jones last year. They have some running backs that can make some noise. And a young running back in Devin Singletary who's looked pretty good. And of course, Josh Allen runs. And that's the ultimate hack in fantasy football. And you can believe that Josh Allen is an incompetent quarterback and can't win in the NFL, which I disagree with. I personally am a little worried. I had to drop him recently. And I think he's going to have a monster year. An absolute monster year. So... With that in mind, my full support is on Josh Allen at 35% owned, and I would look that way. At 28%, Sam Darnold. I'm much higher on Sam Darnold than is the average consensus. I liked what I saw last year, especially at home. It's egregious to expect a rookie to be very confident and comfortable on the road. If you look at his home and road splits last year, it was notable. This team only improved. Yes, the major downside to Sam Darnold is they have a butthole of a coach named Adam Gase who has no idea how to coach in the NFL. But they have many nice pieces around him. Robbie Anderson looks intensely focused. And although he has an intensely difficult schedule for a wide receiver, him, Jamison Crowder, when they get Herndon back, Le'Veon catching balls out of the backfield, everything looks good so far. Everything. And I fully believe in Sam Darnold. So I think you could do worse than that. And then we'll close it down with one that I'm not that confident in, but this is more of a week one start. Uh, Matt Stafford, 27% owned. He gets the Cardinals on the road inside week one. No Patrick Peterson. We've talked about that before and why Kenny Galladay might be a strong play week one. Uh, I don't like Matt Stafford for the entire season because Matt Patricia wants to run this archaic, like, slam it up the middle 40 times a game offense that doesn't work and not utilize your best weapons, which is your receivers and Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones and your quarterback. Uh, 
So I don't like the outlooks for the entire season. But I think if you're desperate for week one, Matt Stafford could salvage you some time there. So moving on to Lamar Miller. Huge bummer for the Texans. You know, he's been one of the most durable players in the NFL over his career. Uh, similar to Frank Gore in that capacity where he's never going to blow you away with remarkable game-changing speed and runs and ability. But he was always going to be out there and he's going to rack up fantasy points and end up as an RB1 somehow. But sadly, he tore his ACL. And fortunately for the Texans, they were proactive a while back and went and swooped up Duke Johnson, which I thought was a great pickup for their offense, added another dynamic weapon. And on paper, this looks like an outstanding opportunity for Duke Johnson. However, I'm skeptical. And I will list a couple reasons why I'm skeptical. So Bill O'Brien has always been a bit inept at utilizing pass-catching running backs. Duke Johnson's best asset is being a pass-catching running back. He has rarely, if at all, been trusted outside of that role in his time in Cleveland. I don't have it off the top, I don't have it available, but I would imagine the most carries he's probably seen in the game hasn't eclipsed 12. So, are they going to really hand over the reins for a three-down back for him? I don't believe so. And I think this is an opportunity, if you're a Duke Johnson owner, to move him, to target the team that had Lamar Miller, and try and extract as much value as possible while his value is as high as it can be. It is extremely, extremely, extremely likely that the Texans will bring in a veteran. You know, people that come to mind are like LaShawn McCoy over in Buffalo. They have a crowded backfield. They want to get Devin Singletary involved. Carlos Hyde, who's about to get cut from the Kansas City Chiefs. Elijah McGuire in a similar spot with the Jets. You know, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's possible they trade for Melvin Gordon. And then where does Duke Johnson's value go? So you got to think to yourself, can I realistically trade this guy for someone I want to start? Would I feel more comfortable having Latavius Murray over Duke Johnson right now. For me, I would. Because I know what I'm going to get out of Latavius in that offense, that Mark Ingram role. I don't know what I'm getting from Duke Johnson. So if he, if I have to rely on him right now, I'm trying to move him and sell high. Could you potentially package and get a guy like Leonard Fournette or Chris Carson? Maybe. And if you can do that, I think it's a viable move. Again, this is very much like the stock market. We're trying to get the best return on our investment possible. It's likely you just picked him up. There's a lot of buzz going around. It's uncertain what his role is going to be. And you can capitalize on that uncertainty. Now, if you have great running backs and you can sit them on your bench and you want to let it play out, I don't mind that either. The Texans are still likely to be a high-volume, uh, high-production offense. Uh, and I think, you know, seeing how this unfolds, Duke could probably get, end up with 12 to 15 carries a game, five targets, and be very valuable. He could also have seven to 10 carries a game, three to four targets, and not be very valuable. Or if you could turn that into a player who's getting 20 touches a game consistently every game, then you've done your due diligence as a fantasy football manager. All right. So let's move on to things that I'm liking. The segment where I talk about things that I'm liking. Go figure. The first, D.D. Westbrook. 
super high on him. I missed him in my season-long draft. I will be playing him week one against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, first game with Nick Foles. Four receptions. The number that I'm most interested in, seven targets. This was the dress rehearsal game, seven targets and a touchdown. That shows to me that Nick Foles wants to get the ball to D.D. Westbrook, feels comfortable getting the ball to D.D. Westbrook, and what we've seen from Nick Foles in the past, when he feels comfortable with somebody, that definitely translates into fantasy success. D.D.'s always had the talent. He needed the scheme. He needed the quarterback. It seems to be in place for a monster year. Number two, Chris Godwin, a guy I'm really high on and snagged in my draft. I actually had to reach for him a bit because I was so high on him and I wanted him. In the dress rehearsal game, Four receptions on six targets. It brings him to six receptions on eight targets in the preseason so far, in very limited uh, time. This is the breakout year for Chris Godwin. Things seem to be aligning. Mike Evans hurt. Mike Evans already endorsing Chris Godwin that they're 1A1V. They're going to throw the ball a lot. Bruce Arians is there. Chris Godwin's in the slot. We've seen that slot position pay off many times in Arians' offense with Heinz Ward, Larry Fitzgerald. This is the time for Chris Godwin. Number three, Darwin Thompson, another guy that I swooped up late in the draft. Got a Kansas City Chiefs offense. All reports say that Darwin Thompson has surpassed Carlos Hyde on the depth chart. And there are indications that Carlos Hyde will not even make this team. So Darwin Thompson is your lock number two. And the thing here is, folks, do I think that Darwin Thompson is going to come out of the gates and be relevant? No. He may break off like a 50-yard touchdown, but you don't want him in your lineups week one. We've also seen the fact that Damian Williams has never had more than 13 carries in a regular season football game. Never. So, it is extremely possible that Damian Williams comes out and smashes for the three to four weeks. It's also extremely possible that Damian Williams gets injured. And I do not wish this upon anybody. But the NFL is a violent sport. And it's hard to maintain a three-down workload while staying healthy, especially if you've never done it before. So, not only has Darwin Thompson looked really good this preseason, the team's raving about him, but he has a player in front of him who has never shown, like, Adrian Peterson health capabilities where they just run the ball 30 times a game every game for 10 years. So there's a lot of reasons to think that Darwin Thompson can find himself in a more advantageous scenario just in a couple weeks. All right. Now, to close down the podcast, instead of the beer of the podcast this week, I'm going to go with highlighting a brewery. I mentioned earlier that a bunch of my friends and I, we had some fun in Milwaukee on Saturday, and we went to a couple breweries. But I want to highlight one in particular because it was a, just an amazing time. This was called Comp- Component Brewing. Component Brewing Company. And they were a little off the beaten path. My buddy Andy Milky, shout out to Andy Milky. You may have heard him on episode five or heard about him when I just – uh, vehemently scathed his team. Uh, terrible picks across the board. But this was not a terrible pick. Andy Milky's friend, uh, ooh, am I going to remember his name? It starts with a J. It's not Justin. Somebody else. Anyways, head brewmaster of Component. And Andy had exposed me to their Imperial Brown Ale before and it was delicious. But I had never been there. And so we went there and they're having a nice little fun fiesta outside. It's in a warehouse, which is super cool. You have to be buzzed in to go upstairs to their tap room. Um, And for $5, they were giving full pours. 
of they had eight unique beers on tap two of which were dark beers which made jesse really happy one was called coffee no coffee which i found the name interesting but it had coffee in it which was what i was looking for is obviously a coffee stout and that was i think like eight percent or so and super delicious and then they had that five percent stout is what they called it because it was five percent in a stout and also kind of a robust coffee flavor for a five percent stout not as good as the coffee no coffee but if you don't want to be drinking eight percenters all day that's the way to go they also had this pineapple milkshake ipa i believe or just a pineapple ipa i can't remember it blurred together we drank a lot of beers that day uh, and that was very delicious as well uh, sampled that from uh, a good friend who let me indulge in her beer so if you're in your if you're in the milwaukee area and you don't want to go to lakefront you don't want to go to paps because who wants to go to paps and uh, we'll talk about Eagle Park on a different episode because Eagle Park is worth checking out. You don't want to do one of the cliches, but you want to find yourself a unique experience. Component Brewing Company, 100%, fully supported. All right, folks, that'll conclude today's episode of The Reality of Fantasy. I'm your host, Jesse Cook. Thank you again for tuning in and take care of yourselves.